Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer. And she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way. Patients and survivors, caregivers and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 163 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a while since I shared some personal updates. I usually cut right to the guest, but you know, there's a Yiddish word. I'm Jewish. There's a Yiddish word that is pronounced kvell. If you were to spell it, I guess in English, I guess it would be K-V-E-L-L. And it's the way I described it is, is bursting with pride. And that would describe me right now as I'm recording this is October 25th. And then within the next five days, we're going to be welcoming a grandson to our family. And I'm so excited. Can't wait to meet the new little guy probably in about a week and a half, two weeks. I'm fortunate that our youngest son, Elliot, and his wife, Molly, live only about three hours away, and we're going to get to see the new little guy, which will bring our grand total of grandsons in our family to three, and just can't wait. So excited. On the podcast front, if you haven't checked out the wehavecancershow.com website, we've done a complete refresh and redesign. And one of the things that you'll notice is when you visit the site, you'll get one of those pop-up boxes. And I put together something that I know from my going on 10 years now as a stage four cancer patient will be beneficial to any of you who are either a cancer patient or caring for a cancer patient. And that is an oncologist visit guide. When we visit our oncologists, our head tends to spin, even if it's been many years, we often forget to ask questions. If we do ask questions, we don't clearly remember the answers. So what I've done is I've put together a pretty comprehensive checklist of all the things I believe you should be speaking to your oncologist about and an opportunity for you to make some notes on this checklist. So do check out the wehavecancershow.com site and uh, grab that new free oncology visit guide. My guest this week is Caroline Rose, and I will never play favorites podcast guests, but what I can tell you about my conversation with Caroline was her story deeply touched my heart. And her story revolves around a dog named Riley and how Caroline and Riley, in her words, found each other and also helped each other to heal and recover. 
You can learn more about Caroline by visiting her website at DearRileyRose.com. You can follow her on Instagram at the same handle, DearRileyRose. Join me now for my conversation with Caroline Rose. Caroline, welcome to We Have Cancer. I'm so excited to speak to you, and I appreciate you finding me and sharing your thoughts on our podca- about the podcast when you reach out to me on Instagram. Thank you for being a fan of the show, and thank you for being on the show. And, you know, I was reading through your website, and, you know, all kinds of things popped up. But the thing that I want to start with is at the heading of your uh, website, which our listeners can find at DearRileyRose.com, is you say, a mom, a dog, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And I went, mm-hmm. ooh, dog. Mm-hmm. Why, why was or why is, mm-hmm. uh, why has a dog played such an important role in your life? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it was one of those things that was, meant to be. There was every reason in the world for Riley and I not to find each other. He had been horribly abused. He was being put to sleep that day. My husband and I had just gotten married. I just finished my first diagnosis, my first eight rounds of chemo. We moved into our first rental cottage in Santa Monica and in bold, all capital letters across the top of the leaf, no dogs allowed, you know. (laughs) And I tell you, I think it was just, I I was in this time in my life where I knew I was in remission, but I also knew that my cancer didn't have a cure and I knew it was going to come back and probably sooner rather than later. So I wasn't really sure what to do with my life. I was kind of waiting for this. This, this disease to rear its ugly head again. And I think out of what I thought was boredom at the time, I think it really was sort of my soul searching for some sort of comfort or strength. And I just went on Google and I Googled Rescue Dogs Los Angeles, scrolled through, saw Riley's picture and poor thing was, you know, emaciated and, and you could see it in his eyes. He was just this wounded soul. And I think I recognized a lot of myself in that. And my husband agreed to meet him. And 12 hours later, we were bringing him home to our rental house. And I think Riley became my project. He became sort of what I did in the meantime, really. And I rehabilitated him. You know, he introduced me to my first friends in Los Angeles at the dog park. And, you know, as the years went by and I was re-diagnosed and re-diagnosed again, he really, over his lifetime we switched roles and he became my caretaker. He rehabilitated me. And I think, you know, animals are so uncomplicated. They're just loyal and loving and they live in the moment. That's how an animal has to live. And I think, you know, my mind could be so overtaken with fear and what if, and you know, the guilt, the guilt towards my husband, towards my kids that I wasn't able to be my best, self for them because I was you know I was not feeling well and I was going through my own stuff so with Riley I could be as sick as I wanted to be or as tired or sad or scared and he was just right there and I didn't know I needed that but it absolutely he absolutely showed me 
really what that unconditional love was. And he really was the one who taught me that it was okay to trust life again, because I thought if he's able to trust again, after all the stuff humans have done to him, then my life that I felt had been so, you know, uh, turned upside down over and over and over again, if he could do it, I could do it. And he really just became, we kind of became one. It was the joke of our friends. It was Caroline, Riley, Riley, Caroline. You never said one name without the other. So we just, we kind of became that one little bonded spirit. And is that what prompted you to title your website what it is? Yes, yes and no. I knew, so what's interesting also is, you know, my life pre-cancer, I was numbers, science. I was in med school. I wanted to be a surgeon. I was the definition of type A. Didn't want to create anything. Didn't want, didn't believe in any of that. And I think over the years, I realized that, that I needed to say something. And so I kind of started writing down, I don't know if it was a journal or just paper that I would throw away. One of my friends that I'd met early on at the dog park, she sort of read some stuff and she said, this is good. You need to keep writing. So I kept writing and then one day I wrote a letter to Riley and she said, that's it. You need to write this book. And so I ended up taking about a year and I wrote a book and it's really the story of Caroline and Riley and yes, cancer's in there and motherhood and relations and all of it is in there. But really, I think it was telling it to Rye because he knew me so well and we, I could kind of address these things and go there through the conversation with him. So anyway, it became a book and it's in the process of being published. And that's the title of the book is Dear Riley Rose. How exciting. Do you have an idea when the book's going to be out? I don't yet. I'm okay. waiting to hear. I okay. should know pretty soon. So, All right. Well, well, as soon as you hear, let us know so that our listeners can check it out. Thank but you. sadly, Riley passed a few years ago. He did. He did. He passed about three and a half years ago. But I see a new friend on your lap. <laughs> yes. You can probably hear him snoring. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. We have Axel Rose now. We have actually a, a lab named Gus and then a little pug named Axel. And they are they are they are very good friends, thankfully. You know, I after Rye passed, I got pretty into dog rescue and I really helped out with the organization that, that led me to Riley. And we ended up finding Gus. And it was interesting because I found myself sort of bonding to Gus and it scared me because it was still so painful thinking about Riley and I thought I, I am not ready I don't know if I'll ever be ready to have that that bond with that dog I needed another dog to sort of diffuse my love or my connection or my bond so that's when we got Axel so I feel like it's kind of split evenly a little bit and it's almost this sacred bond that Ryan and I have that I just, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to do that all in with one animal again. Mm -hmm. Well, at the top of your website, it says a mom, mm -hmm. yes. a dog, yes. cancer, yes. hope. Yes. So why hope? You know, I you talk a lot about hope in your, in a mm -hmm. lot of your blog posts. Mm -hmm. Why, why did you choose that word to be head yeah. your website? You know, I, I actually didn't choose it. I think I've done a lot of public speaking across the country. And afterwards, 
my favorite part is when the people come up to me afterwards because I love to hear what their takeaway was, you know, what resonated with them and what what really, really landed and, and they felt every single time it was, you gave me hope. That gave me hope. Your story gave me hope. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. You know, that was not, I, I'm, that was not my initial intent, but I really understood why that message resonated. And I had one man in particular come up to me, I think in Georgia, and he came up and he was just, you know, tears just running down his cheeks. And he said, my nephew found out last week that he needed a second bone marrow transplant. And we have just been devastated. Understandably so. They had, they were devastated. And then I think maybe he heard my story and how my initial diagnosis really didn't have a lot of hope. You know, it was stage four. There was no cure. Cancer was everywhere. And as you know, stage four is pretty bleak. You know, there's not a lot of hope in that. I was told I'd never have children, probably wouldn't even live long enough to have children. And even if I did, because of the chemo, it just it wasn't in the cards for me. Well, you know, I, I went to my initial diagnosis. It came back. I had my first bone marrow transplant. I had two children. Then it came back as a second bone marrow transplant that actually ended up being the curative treatment that was a brand new clinical trial that hadn't even been around when I was initially diagnosed. And so I think it's that concept of, you know, whatever you are hearing today, it may not always be that, you know, I mean, just buy time, just do the best option you can do today. And it may not be a great option and it may make you feel horrible. You're probably going to lose your hair. You're going to not, it's going to be rough. But if you can just buy time, you never know what's out there, what's being researched, what is coming up that really could be the treatment that could, you know, it could change everything. And how long have you been in remission now? 10 years. Wow. 10 years. From, yeah. From stage four uh, mm-hmm. and cancer everywhere to 10 years mm-hmm. remission. And your cancer okay. was found by accident, wasn't it? Total accident. Tell, oh, my gosh. Tell That's us about that. Such a shock. Yeah. So I was 27, and I was, as I said, I was in med school out in Los Angeles at USC. And I think at the time, you know, I was a huge runner. I was, I think I'd just run my seventh marathon. I'd done Boston, New York, and San Diego all in that year. I had gotten into triathlon. And actually, my brother is a big mountain climber. And he had said, hey, Caroline, let's train and let's climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa over Christmas. So I'd started training and I'd never really done a lot of strength training. And I knew I had the endurance to get up the mountain, but my brother said, you got to work out with some weights and do some strength training. So I had during that time, I remember looking in the mirror and seeing my neck was bigger. And I remember putting on deodorant and feeling these, these bumps. And I, I thought it was muscle because it perfectly coincided with the strength training. Um, I never had one side effect, never one, I never had one, I, c- I couldn't even make up a side effect. I was in the best shape of my life. You know, I didn't have a lot of vices, ate super healthy. I mean, I really was sort of that quote unquote, you know, picture perfect, healthy, you know, young adult. And we had come back over Thanksgiving um, to my hometown of San Antonio, Texas, 
my dad's a doctor in San Antonio, and he had set up blood work before my brother and I got our vaccination for, you know, the, the trip going to Africa a month later. And I got the blood work, and he saw the results and called me and said, do not go to your vaccinations. Come back. There was a mistake because my platelets were at a life-threatening level. So I went back, redid the blood work, and was in the car going to meet my mom for lunch, and he called, and he's a, a brain surgeon. And growing up, he I've never, ever seen my dad cancel surgery, ever, 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 ever. And I remember I was in the car, and he said, meet me at Dr. So-and-so's office. I've canceled my surgery, and I'm going to meet you there. And that, more than anything, just terrified. I thought, oh, my gosh, what? So sure enough, we went. And we went to a hematologist and, you know, to the trained eye, this doctor looked at me and said, how long have those lumps been in your neck? And I said, well, thank you. And I thought, I still thought he was complimenting, you know, the strength that I had gained, but those were the, that was the lymphoma. Those were the lymph nodes that, you know, so had the lymph node removed the next day. That afternoon, they confirmed it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, it was, I don't know, B-cell or, I, you know, all the, and the next day was Thanksgiving. We ended up at MD Anderson that next week. They did all the stage testing. A week later, I met with my doctor, and that's when she said, it's everywhere. Stomach, spleen, bone marrow, you know, and we want to start chemo tomorrow. And I think it was the urgency and I think it was the shock of the cancer, but then to hear, you know, I was convinced that this was just a little bitty bit that I was just going to more of a new, this is going to be a nuisance where I could just take care of it, get back, do my finals for med school and get back with my life. And, you know, I think that that was the moment where hearing it was stage four and that it was incurable and that it would come back. That was, that was, that was the, uh, that it, it all got very real, very fast. I think I saw in one of your posts you talked about being both determined and in denial at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. That's that's that is very true. You know, I think I think in a way I was in denial until I was diagnosed the third time and I had children because the third time I had a two-year-old and a five-week-old, and that diagnosis I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't expecting it. And that was the, you know, it wasn't about me anymore. This was about my kids. This was about their lives, their futures. And I think that was the time where there was no time for denial. There was no time to play around with any of it. This was, it was as serious as it could have possibly been. And, you know, as emotionally as hard. You know, I think I'll always have that type A thread run through me where, you know, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And it might be a little slower these days. And I might forget a lot because my kids need post-it notes now around the house reminding me of things because my memory has been so affected. But, you know, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So what's the status of your health? You know, obviously, I understand you're in remission. But, mm-hmm. you know, anything that you, you, you mentioned memory, chemo brain, which uh, I know all too well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A- any other side effects that that are part of your life now that you have to deal with? I mean, I think I think just really the energy is a huge, huge factor. I think you know I'm 42 years old, and I have two. I have a 10 year old and a 12 year old now, and I 
I get frustrated and it, it's sad sometimes when I see other moms or other families and what they're able to do. And, you know, I'm able to do maybe 40% of what a normal person can do. And I think, you know, I think a lot of us that have gone through any really physically taxing uh, illness relate to those days where you really can't get out of bed and you just do not feel well or you do not have the energy. And I, it took me a long time to be okay with that and to just listen to my body and, do, you know, honor what it was telling me to do. And I think the main thing for me, you know, in terms of true side effects have been my sinuses and no one knows why, but I've just had chronic, pretty horrible sin, sinus um, infections and had eight surgeries in the past 10 years. And it's been pretty, pretty involved and pretty caused a couple hospitalizations each year and, you know, infections that get a little bit too close to the brain and just, you know, IV antibiotics and all that stuff. That's been tough. And I think even tougher hearing a lot of the answer is we just don't know because, you know, I think research does move so fast and that's amazing. But what what ended up happening is that, you know, we make it to the finish line of these treatments and then it's sort of what, what we kind of are on our own figuring a lot of this stuff out. And that's a very hard, difficult, tiring place to be. And that's sort of been my struggle through these past 10 years. When I had my recurrence of metastases to my liver early in 2019, I was put on a new protocol of chemotherapy known as Fulfury. And the main drug of that is arinotecan, which has uh, pretty severe stomach implications, oftentimes with major diarrhea involved. I was fortunate that I didn't have that quite severely, but what I did find was lots of trips to the bathroom. And I found over time lots of discomfort from the constant, you know, wiping and burning and itching. And I had to do something because I was so uncomfortable. And I discovered a product. It's a bidet that attached to the toilet seat by a company called Lux, L-U-X-E. took me about 15 minutes to get this thing attached to my toilet seat. And instead of using constant uh, sheets and sheets and sheets of toilet paper, I was able to get cleaned up with a nice cool rinse of water. And I've never looked back. It's been a true difference maker in the quality of my life, really. And I find myself, if I'm out and about needing to use the restroom, I'm like, darn, I wish I was at home so I could use my Lux bidet. If this is something you struggle with uh, and you find the, the irritation, pain, itching, and discomfort, I can't recommend this product enough. Uh, you can visit wehavecancershow.com forward slash Lux, L-U-X. Take a look at their array of products and pick the one that's best for you.
True disclosure, if you do make a purchase through that link, we have cancershow.com forward slash Lux. I do receive a small incentive, but that in no way affects uh, my opinion of the product and nor does it impact the cost to you. It's just a little way to help support the efforts of this show. And obviously, I would never recommend a product that I myself don't use and don't truly believe in. So check out the full line of bidets from Lux by visiting wehavecancershow.com forward slash Lux. That's L-U-X-E. Your kids are 10 and 12. What do they know about about your cancer? What do you share with them? That's a great question. You know, obviously when I was first diagnosed with them, my main concern, it was the kids. And I went to a child psychologist in Los Angeles, went to her one time and I said, how do I do this? How, I don't, I don't know how to do this. You know, my son was weeks old. Obviously I couldn't talk to him, but my daughter was two. And she said, she said, never lie to them. Always be very upfront and tell them in an age-appropriate way, you know, what's happening. Because when, when, when you don't, kids are so smart and they know something's up. And they're going to start losing trust in you and sort of in life if they feel they're being lied to, even at that young of an age. And I really took that with me. She advised that I make a picture book for my daughter because I'd had pictures in the past treatments, you know, with my bald head or, you know, the pick lines, the port, all of that. And she said, not in a scary way, but, you know, do a picture with your bald head when you're smiling and sort of have a non-hospital gown on, you know. And and I did that. And so it was sort of, I think I called it Mommy's Book to Ellie. And we read it and we read it. And then she said, take her with you when you shave your head. Because I always, when my hair started falling out, I liked to just have it shaved. I didn't want to watch it fall. And that was a really hard day. That was a very hard day. And she actually would not cut her hair until I think she was four and a half. She had a lot of, you know, child trauma kind of over that. And that was harder than I thought it would be. I thought one thing that Indy Anderson did that was really amazing, they came to our house once I went inpatient. No, actually, I think they came before I went inpatient. And then again, once I was inpatient. But they had a big stuffed doll, like almost like a, a large child size. And the doll had, you know, the, I think we called them the CVC lines, you know, the multiple tubes. We call them tubies, you know, coming out upper, upper chest. And the kids could put on the gloves. They could put on the mask. And they could get the little... Um, syringes where we did the heparin flush through the tubes and and they put um, finger paint in the syringes and they went onto the kitchen table with a butcher paper and the kids really could use the syringes in a in a fun way so there wasn't a negative association with them and they did a little song about the tubies and they they really helped mainly my daughter kind of not be so scared of all this medical stuff because it's scary you know especially when it's on mom and I think those were the main things that that I'm so grateful for and because really for that first year I was I was not I mean I, I just wasn't around I was in, I was really in the hospital almost that full year and that that created a lot of guilt 
but we I was so blessed to have my parents, my husband, my family, my friends. They just this little village that came together and you know, somehow got through it. And I, I always joke, I'm like, oh, God, put another dollar in the therapy jar, you know, to their, their future therapy savings, because I'm sure they're going to be in it for a while. But I think we do the best we can, you know. Well, you talk about writing a picture book to your daughter, Ellie. You talked about writing a book to your dog. Mm-hmm. When it comes time, and if it's time for them to write a book, what do you hope? What do you hope that they would say? Yeah, these are great questions. I'll probably get emotional on this one. I, I hope they say you won't be the first. <laughs> I hope they say my mom was brave. I hope they say my mom was kind. I hope they say that my mom did not judge others, and that my mom loved everyone. And I hope they say. I hope they're proud. I hope they are proud of the way I slash we navigated a really, really tough situation. And I hope they remember that we laugh a lot. I really hope they remember the laughter, would remember the laughter. I don't plan on going anywhere. <laughs> I, I hope they say. would remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell us about laughter. What do you do to make mm-hmm. that happen? Oh my gosh. Well, the dogs provide a lot of entertainment. I will say that. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I think just one of my favorite times is in the car on the way to school or on the way home. And I think that, you know, when you, when, when I feel really myself with someone and mainly my husband and my kids and just a few friends, you know, you, you can be so comfortable that you can sort of have this banter that is so, happy and fun and unique to that relationship. And I think that's what my husband and my kids and I've created because we've been together so much. And it's really, I think if anyone from outside our family stepped in and saw it, they'd think we were wackadoodles. But it's really this this happy, fun language that we sort of speak. And I think there's so much more meaning behind that than just the the surface humor. I think there's really something where to my kids and maybe I just tell myself this to feel better. I think it really is this mom's okay. You know, she's laughing. We're laughing. She's back. She's good. Even if I have a hard day, two hard days, three hard days, or I'm not, you know, out of bed, we're still going to crack a few jokes. And it's just that reminder that mom's okay. We're okay. It's all going to be okay. It kind of fits with what I'm reading over your right shoulder behind you. For our listeners, it says, let's do what we love and do a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that kind of your family motto? You know, it it is. Because I think it's that sort of cliche thing. I think a lot of cancer survivors and their loved ones would say that it, it really does put stuff in perspective. And I think that we are very aware. I think anyone who has had their life change in a second whether it was, God forbid, an accident, a diagnosis, whatever it is, I think we are so much more aware of our mortality and we're so much more aware of the fragility of life and we're so much more aware that it can all be taken in a minute. So, you know, I will say I don't have a very high tolerance for stuff that I don't feel is worth it, you know. I mean, I I have to watch my energy. I am very 
very much want as much of my kids' time as I can get, as they'll give me. And I think that, um, I think it was two or three years ago, someone gave us a gratitude jar. And it was one of the coolest gifts we've received. It was on our dining room table, and we had these little cards. And every night before dinner, we write something that we're grateful for and put it in the jar. And it, the other day, I kind of was looking through some. And, I mean, look, it's like mac and cheese, you know, Fortnite, you know, stuff like that. But, <laughs> but there were some things in there that were really fun. It was like family board games, you know, or bike, family bike rides. And it's like that's the stuff that, that we love doing. And that, that's what matters, the stuff that, that you hold on to. So that's what we try to do. We try. We try to do. <laughs> I I always believe in the power of words, and uh, mm-hmm. your blog posts are absolutely beautiful. And I want to again encourage our, our listeners to check out your website at dearrileyrose.com. But there was a common theme that kind of jumped out at me: two words, forgiveness and love. Mm-hmm. I think you've explained the love part, but mm-hmm. why, why forgiveness? You know, I think. I, one of one of a big question I I was asked not as much anymore was what how do why do you think you got cancer you know I mean why you and of course I would love to know that answer but but I think um, my my personal opinion is I think that the life I was living I was very contr- I wanted control I wanted structure I was wanting perfection really. And there was no room for error, let alone even forgiveness, because that would be admitting fault if I had to forgive something. So I was hard on myself, not so much others. I was hard on myself. And I think that through the evolution of this disease and treatments and all of it, what I believe was one of the key healing parts was when I was able to learn how to forgive myself and let go of guilt, let go of control as best I could and it is still a daily practice and a daily choice because I revert back to that but I've learned that we can make that choice and we can you know put our thoughts where we want them to go for the most part but I I think forgiveness for me was was very healing was hugely healing and a lot of it does go back to Riley I mean it sounds crazy but I think there were so many times when I felt I had wronged him and he was, he loved me just as much. And that was that forgiveness, you know? And I think I just saw the healing power of it. And I also believe that if we don't forgive other people, we can never heal. You know, it's only hurting us if we're holding on to that. And I very, especially in today's world, I just really, really, really believe in the power of forgiving others, accepting others, letting everyone be their own person, letting everyone believe what they want to believe. And that's okay. And it doesn't, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. But forgiveness is kind of at the root of all of it. And compassion, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of compassion. A lot of compassion. It's something I see even in myself, not that I wasn't before, I think I was, but Mm -hmm. through this experience, so many people have shown us compassion. Yeah. Right? Caring and loving for us. Completely. 
that it becomes mm-hmm. part of our DNA, doesn't it? It does. It really does. That That's very true. It really does. It really, because you know how much it means, you know, and it's, they're the smallest acts, too, that really stick with you. It's, it's even the smallest little thing. It means everything. It does. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to leave this right there. (laughs) (laughs) I so appreciate you, you uh, reaching out and and sharing really a special story. I've been touched. I really have. And and I want to wish you and your family uh, continued good health first and foremost. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind, Caroline, that there's going to be people listening to this episode we're going to say the exact same thing that guy just in Georgia said to you that you've given them hope and thank you for that thank you thank you very very much be well thank you for listening to we have cancer and thank you to the colon cancer coalition for your ongoing support you can learn more about the colon cancer coalition by visiting their website at coloncancercoalition.org You can subscribe to the We Have Cancer podcast, stay up to date on our latest blog posts, listen to the latest episodes, and much more by visiting our website at wehavecancershow.com You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at wehavecancerpod and on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group by visiting We Have Cancer Thank you again for listening Be well, everyone.